welcome to episode nine. And um, as always, I want to tell you this is a series, and it's the ninth in the series. And it's great if you have a chance to go back and look at all the others. Um, but you can get these nine episodes uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And we would love to see you guys go back and look at them. So thank you for all the work that you've done so far and all the questions and all the suggestions. And let's keep it up. Um, this is sort of our last video blog for the year. I, I say sort of because there's a special request. Um, there's been a number of them, all kind of at the same thing. And it's around uh, our premium pay. And we're going to probably do a little bit of a bonus um, episode on that. I'm working right now to get a national authority on premium pay to join us. And we'll do a little question and answer on that for the people who are interested in that. I think that'll be an amazing one if we actually uh, can pull that off. And if we do, that'll be in December. And that will wrap up the Good Life You series with the 10th and bonus episode for this year. So we've covered, you know, a lot in these nine episodes. But, you know, while we've covered a lot of information, this episode, I want to kind of rise up 500 feet uh, and, and, and make sure that we get a big perspective of what we've accomplished. Um, because about a month ago, Anchor released a, a survey. And if you haven't read it, the link of that one also is behind me. And, and it's important that you look at that. That is kind of what's where we are right now with respect to workforce stability. You know, we've always thought we've had a crisis, and we have. For 20, 30 years, it's been a crisis, and it's been growing. But where it is right now is much deeper. It's important to look at that survey where it talks about the impact on services on people's lives uh, and, and what they see in the future. The bottom line is our workforce concerns are not going away organically. You know, the challenges that we faced isn't just related to COVID. It's related to a lot of population trends and other things. And certainly COVID has, has ex, you know, has fueled that, that fire. But the reality is what we've experienced is going to continue in many ways and in some ways will worsen. And so we're going to have to look at things a little bit differently. It's clear that our workforce is disappearing. And it's disappearing for many reasons that I've gone into and I'm not going to go into again. Uh, but of course, it's pay is, is always the first thing out of people's lips. And I believe that strongly. The pay is a huge issue. We always want to pay more. And we have a cross time. Uh, but, but there are more reasons than pay. And these reasons get in the way of paying more. And, and so you have to look more seriously at some of these what I'll call subsource reasons that are beyond pay. And we've covered a lot of those in our sessions back in our video blogs. Wonky schedules, you know, there was a uh, thing on wonky schedules and that certainly is a serious issue uh, uh, that's caused problems. Too high reliance on part-time labor. Look, the nation in our world, in our industry is 32% part-time. And that includes residential and day services. And we all know that a lot of people, most of the country, day services are Monday through Friday staffing. What that means is that 
means the part-time is really pushed to our residential program and is pushed to the evenings and the weekends primarily. What is happening is that 32% part-time for a residential program is closer to 45% because day services are very few part-time positions are in day services. So it's more in our residential program and it's pushed to the weekend and pushed to the evening and that's a concern. Probably the largest concern that we face is our reliance on part-time and we've got to fix that. The early loss of employees uh, because they work increasingly alone or with limited supervision is really serious. You know, as our homes get smaller, as final rule takes root and our philosophies of individualized care move forward, all the setting sizes are getting smaller, which is great, except for one thing. Staff are working increasingly alone without supervision, and that is fueling a lot of instability, especially for people who are part-time. So that's a serious issue. Working short, we're all working short now, and, and, and that's due to openings. I mean, that's fueling further our instability as we work short in the stress related from that. And most unsettling is the increasing reliance on PRN and pool staffing. Across the country, I am seeing you know, agencies, as they get into these serious, challenging issues, we're working and relying more on PRN and pool staffing. And truly, that's where the challenges for care are the greatest. And that's where the decisions are often made is to reduce the service footprint, close programs, close homes, close initiatives. And we need to get in front of that. We need to get upstream of all of this. So all this increases our costs and causes us to deliver care with far too many people involved in care. And as the number of different people involved in care goes up, then the quality of the care goes down. And, and, and while I'm on that topic, uh, I want to emphasize that we need to stop looking at turnover as our estimate of instability. What I believe is the number of different people involved in care is a much better metric for us to keep our eyes on because so many things affect it. Let me give you just a partial list. Of course, staff vacancies cause us to have temporary and other kinds of things and to increase the number of different people involved in care. So staff vacancies, the length of, uh, of time a vacancy is open impacts a number of different people involved in care. How we replace these vacancies, which include our reliance on substitute staffing and just simply how we do that, uh, how we do that increases the number of different people involved in care. Um, our PRN pool staffing, our PTO policies, you know, I, a little bit I've always called that self-inflicted wounds. We give a lot of people time off, but that also affects our, the number of different people uh, uh, we have in care. And I, I talk about that in a video blog, and we talk about different op options for that. And certainly the biggest one out there is call-offs, which is exponentially growing right now. All of those things affect the number of different people involved in care. And here's the deal. Those kinds of things may have different fixes. So when you just look at turnover, you think of just certain things that affect turnover, but those things are much more prescriptive when people call off, you know, PTO policies, all of these kinds of things are much more prescriptive. So I prefer us looking at the metric of the number of different people involved in care and getting our eyesight away from turnover, which kind of is my one trick pony 
uh, approach to and, and it oversimplifies our problem. But more importantly, it keeps our eyes off potential solutions that are really there if we look at it. So you know the saying that if you want different results, you just need to behave differently. And the national thinkers all agree that what we've been doing to address turnover or the number of different people involved in the care or staff stability, workforce capacity, what we've been doing to address these problems uh, has been really traditional things done more rapidly. And the truth is we need to look at things differently. And that's where we get into the next generation of care, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Um, so what we really tried to present is a series of integrated solutions on how we can improve staff civility. And we've often called these the low-hanging fruit uh, work that we're doing. Uh, when we're helping, but, but I, I, I thought, you know, I could end this session by, by talking about kind of how do we go about helping people a little bit. And maybe you can do a little bit yourself. And so here's some questions. They're not all of them, but here's the questions that we ask uh, and that you may ask yourself in your group. Uh, let's start with this. this. You know, the first one we always ask, how many opens do you have, right? That's a simple one. And looking back, we always ask, what's your net loss per week? Now, this is an important one because the truth is we don't get ourselves in a serious problem overnight. It's usually, if you only look on a weekly basis, there are one or two or three people who leave more than we hire. And collectively over a series of weeks, then that has got ourselves into a pretty deep hole. And the truth is that's the one metric we always keep ahead of us. We want to know what's our net of people who we've hired versus the people who go and what does that accumulate. Every year, our program, Good Life, we start the year with a number of how many openings we have. And every week, we're either plus or minus to that number. We know every week, are we above that line or below that line? Are we adding to that number or not? And it's important to know. So the two things you need to ask yourself is how many openings do you have? And if you look backwards, how did you get there in, a, in, in terms of a weekly basis? And that also gives you a trajectory of where you're going. Big one is how many positions and what percent of your positions are part-time versus full-time. Super important question because part-time positions are not something you want to base a professional workforce on if you can change it. How many, oh, and then we want to look at openings, you know, like how many openings are part-time evening and weekend? You know, how many? And what percent of your openings are that? We took a, we, we really dive in some for some specifics on openings. We may say, are the schedules of the openings of the schedules of the openings that you have clear, specific, and attractive to the public? Because you know what? Your pipeline coming into your agency is solely based upon the attractiveness of the schedules that are open that you're recruiting people to fill. If they're unattractive, you know, a basic question we ask is we make people print them out, look at them and say, okay, of those openings, how many are part-time, how many are full-time, and, and are they attractive? 
would you be willing to apply for that? Because, and I often say, look at your pipeline and the, is it dripping or is it flowing? And depending on that pipeline really is grounded in the quality of those openings because you're using starting wage to potentially recruit for the worst openings that your agency has to offer because it what's obviously kind of organic in a program that has schedules that have different appeal in their agency. When a preferred schedule is left by an employee leaving, then employees in the agency migrate to that preferred schedule and it cascades to the point where the ones that are open are the ones that nobody wants internally. It's the least desired ones on the inside. And if that's how your scheduling works, then you're going to have these very unattractive openings that you're going to be attracting the public to fill with beginning wages. And that probably more than anything describes why your pipeline is off or dripping. It can be fixed. And we've talked about how to do that. So that's another thing. We also want to know how long these openings have been open. How, you know, and we actually keep aging reports on our openings at, at, at Good Life, and we always suggest that. For example, if you have an opening, and we often say, well, this opening has been open for three months or six months, or it's been opening for even longer. Well, the truth is, if your openings are open for that long, if specific schedules are open for that long, here's a different way of looking at that. You've actually created a schedule with holes in it that were that in a way that actually you don't schedule for all your time. If it's open that long, you have to fundamentally say functionally, that schedule doesn't exist because it can't be filled. And many people, you know, kind of just like, okay, well, we haven't been able to fill this. But after a while, you have to say, well, guess what, guys? This isn't going to be filled. So this schedule doesn't exist. And we have a hole in our schedule, a hole in our program that's forever going to be there. So that's not going to work. Another thing is, you know, do you rely on differentials? Like, do you have special incentive payments for working during challenging times of the day or of the week? People who've heard our blogs, and we don't really promote that. We have a different solution for that. Uh, that is paid, but it isn't a differential. And that's part of what episode 10 is going to be about, by the way, uh, our little bonus episode. Uh, and, and how reliant are you on substitute staffing, pool staffing? Those are questions that we ask in our site review and that you could ask of yourself. A big one is, do you even know what your call-off rate is? And if so, what is it? You know, what is it per home program and for your agency? because that's a different problem and it's the solutions are a different problem, but it can be, it can cause as much instability as openings because the thing on call off is you have no time to fill them. They are usually, you know, in a morning or right before a shift. And that puts you in a position where, where, where you're in, you have challenges. And how free, uh, and then another line of questioning is, is, you know, when you have call offs and you fill them, or vacancies and you fill them. Do you fracture that open schedule and, and, and partition it out to people or does staff actually fill that? Do you have your vacancy uh, and relief staffing fill that entire shift? 
what we find often is that if people are working eight-hour shifts and the second shift calls off, nobody's going to be picking it up and working 16 hours. So they, they take a certain number of hours and they work longer and maybe they try to get the evening shift to come in and work or the manager fills it in. They're working a lot of fractured shifts and those fractured shifts are problems because it makes your program more unstable. And then, who makes your schedules? You know, does the CFO say, here's the amount of money we have and the number of hours uh, that you can have you guys, you managers, you make the schedule so every manager has a different schedule? Or do you have an agency theme and a process for standardizing those uh, schedules? Do you operate day services? What percent of the people who are in your home, you know, go to day services? Uh, those things, and are the people in your home that stay home and you provide day services without walls? These are all kinds of questions because there's the logistics behind that and how we can solve them. Other things related to that is do you have night staff and in your homes? Are your night staff awake or asleep and do you pay them differently? Those are all kinds of assessment questions that we ask. Um, and, and, and I go through all of this. This isn't all the questions, but I wanted you today to hear like some of the questions that we would want to do to do a site review. These are the kinds of things you need to honestly ask yourself to sort of assess where you are with the capacity of your staffing. And based on these answers, solutions are able to be crafted very methodically. And so that's kind of like the major focus of what I want to accomplish. But, but when you pinpoint the problems, then you can kind of pinpoint the solutions. And when you can craft these solutions and integrate them in an approach to improve your stability, we have shown how that can generate savings. And those savings have amounted between $1.50 or even $2 an hour, which then further improves our ability to, to help with staff stability, because we all know pay is important, but these subsource issues get in the way of pay. And so you can't just keep saying, oh, I need more money for pay. I mean, certainly we all want to do that, but we all know the history of this. We know we've been doing that for 40 years, and we know no matter what we pay, the world pays that much or more, right? So I, I give an example, you know, when surely we're going to have you know, minimum wage of $15 an hour. We all see that coming, right? We all know when $15 minimum wage comes that we can't pay $15 an hour. We all are going to have to pay $17.50 or $18, right? So the reality is we always have to pay more uh, than we have. And we're going to have to find ways to work on these subsource issues so that we have workforce that is, has greater capacity, and that involves changing what we do. Uh, and we will do that. So for those guys that say, we just don't have the time or capacity to fix it now, I will tell you, you just have to figure out how we can go forward to do this. It's our job in many ways to figure out, is there a way to do that that doesn't cause so much change? And, and the truth is, the only reason people don't want to put solutions in place is because they can't change what they're doing to do these new solutions because that's even more disruptive and they're at a point where it's too fragile to do that. And I get it. 
my suggestion is that you start with your replacement staffing strategy because this builds your capacity to replace staff and support the problem that you have now and gives you the capacity to make changes down the road. And we can help with that. There is a whole pod on, on, on replacement staff, uh, uh, staffing strategies that you should look at, but, but there's lots of questions about that, uh, you know, and, and, and we can help with that. But that's about change management. But there are ways to help and help improve your capacity without moving the cheese around so much that it causes what you are concerned with is the more problem until it's fixed. Now, once you have the capacity to help and support relief staffing, yes, you should be working on some of these other subsource issues to, to deal with staff uh, capacity. Um, and ending, the issue has always been brought up on the one episode that we've done for premium pay. It's enticed you know, the country about that. My goal is to do a bonus episode uh, and, and, and have some legal counsel here in labor to talk about how does premium pay work and, and why does it work the way it works uh, and how it's permitted. Uh, this, I think, will make everybody feel good about you know, its role. So after that bonus episode, we are done with 2021. And, 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 and I know we're all saying in good riddance, right? That's what we said in 2020. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say that our next episode uh, begins in 2022, and it's going to focus on next generation services, including technology-enabled services and service models, in other words, that use technology to deliver care. And it's going to look at different approaches to care that really use and allow us to use full-time staff uh, and uh, less reliance on part-time staff. So it's a, that's gonna be a good series. We're also gonna talk about uh, change management, which I think everybody really, you know, we, it's, a, it's a, you know, a catchy term, but it's so important that we know how to manage change and we'll have an episode or two on that. And we're gonna talk about back office collaborations that we're doing that we're super excited about. You know, there are, and really where that came from is, you know, one of the things we've seen, especially with Advent and Medicare, is programs are getting bigger, bigger, and bigger, and there's lots of, of mergers, and there's lots of uh, large providers, and that's kind of a trend you see. Um, you know, I'm going to look at some of the alternatives to that because, you know, uh, I celebrate the value of, of local missions and local providers, but that doesn't mean that they, they can't be big. And so the back office collaborative that we're working on is a way of how you can actually keep, you know, all the benefits of your size and your independence, but also gain some of the advantages of size on how you collaborate and work with each other on some of the things that you do. And I'm pretty excited to have that discussion. So as we end this episode and we talk about the year, the past year, you know, we tried to cover a lot of things on improving workforce uh, capacity. Um, and, you know, I think as we go into the holiday season and Thanksgiving holiday, um, we've kind of been taught, you know, to, to not only, uh, you know, reflect on, on, on the work we've done, but, but be grateful uh, because the reality, uh, you know, I personally am, am filled with gratitude. It's a wonderful uh, business to be in where you can make a big difference. 
And I honestly believe that as challenging as the COVID times been, it has helped move us to the reality that we need to pursue more quickly a different vision of care and that this is even further uh, sort of moved by the by the final rule which you know is encouraging smaller more inclusive and greater empowerment uh, of people and we all celebrate that the question is, is how do we do it well that's next year and we're looking forward to that and thank you so much for the the work that you've all done this year and we'll see you next year.